The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to the Views Room from Davos, Switzerland. I'm Rob Cox, your host. I'm here with two of my colleagues, Peter Dow Larson. Hello. And Gina Chong. Hi. We've spent uh, a pretty hectic week here in Davos, right, guys? Um, but uh, here we are now. We've got uh, some beer called Hell Kohlfrisch, and um, we're able to decompress a bit and talk about some of the things we've learned. Um, let me start with you, Gina. You, you wrote a, a pretty interesting piece, which was about how all of the, the masters of the universe CEOs and, and other folks who were here in Davos were all playing a sort of game of do-gooder one-upmanship, as, as you termed it. Um, why don't you give a little flavor of what you meant by that? Yeah, it's interesting because obviously climate change and caring about the environment has been a part of the theme here for the last several years, but the CEOs seem to have come armed with actual projects this time where they could show how good they are about saving trees and that sort of thing. So you had companies like Unilever talk about uh, wanting to reduce the amount of uh, plastic packaging they use by 14% per year. Uh, before that, Nestle also came out with their own announcement, wanting to spend about $2 billion on sustainable packaging. And you saw it across the board in terms of industries, whether it was Adidas, or uh, well, even yeah, you had you had yeah, H and M. I think you mm -hmm. you name check. Um, there was uh, N plus, which exactly. is a Russian aluminum smelter, which mm -hmm. is trying to make its uh, mark as the cleanest aluminum smelter. They're going to plant um, more than a million trees and spend eight hundred fifty million dollars on uh, cutting their greenhouse gas emissions. So uh, everyone's getting in on the act. Yeah, obviously leaving aside the fact that Oleg Deripaska, who's the ultimate shareholder of EN+, is subject to Russian uh, American sanctions and basically kind of like completely frozen from the financial system. Yeah, but, they uh, left that out of their ESG presentation. Well, they know about that. I, I, I think they're aware of that. But, but it is, it's quite fascinating how, um, and you know, Peter, you and I were here last year, um, and there was certainly a lot of talk about ESG and, and all that kind of stuff, but it was definitely, it was talk. Like it was, it was, or should I say, it was like a, the cheaper talk rather than, I mean, there's still, certainly still a lot of talk, but we're getting, every one of these, these meetings we go to, there's someone presents you with our, you know, here's our plan, you know, on, on paper that's obviously been stripped from some, some forest in Finland and processed and sent off to China to be printed and then brought back to Europe. But in any event, they really are kind of staking their colors to the green mast, aren't they? Well, and I think definitely when you, a lot of the financial institutions that we saw, um, you know, this has moved from being a sort of like touchy-feely sort of like, let's do good, or do well by doing good and all those kind of things to a, a actually a more serious financial conversation. So obviously the, the, the kind of precursor to this was uh, a couple of days before the forum started, Larry Fink, the chairman CEO of BackRock, sent his annual letter to chief executives of companies uh, and basically said, you know, we see climate change as a major potential financial risk. And if we want you to disclose what that climate change, what, what rising temperatures will do to your business, and if we feel that you're not giving us enough information about that and what you're doing to, to address that, 
then we might vote against the directors of your company. And so that's kind of sort of concentrated the minds a bit of, uh, of, of the companies. And, and there was a lot of talk about that amongst CEOs and, 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 uh, and bankers and so forth. And then when you, when you talk to the banks, there's also, you know, a, a sort of a pressure to say, this is a financial risk that needs to be managed. Actually, if you have exposure to not just coal miners, but also to oil and gas companies or, or companies that are, that are in some way dependent on, on, on producing hydrocarbons uh, or, or using a lot of carbon, um, but they're going to have to think of ways to, to mitigate that. And if they don't, then, then, then you know, the bank might say, well, we don't really want to lend to you anymore. It's kind of like if you think about the last year or the years before, it was, it, it's gone from just the share register to it's really jumped inside the boardroom. So now, you know, directors, CEOs, they're having, they're basically, this is embedded now in their, in their objectives. It's part of their CapEx or other spending. It's part of their, it's just become part of what they're presenting now to their shareholders. I guess that you were, did Larry Fink do uh, something that you were at? I mean, if you're going to be cynical, you say, well, uh, BlackRock needs to, you know, it's kind of good advertising and branding for them. I mean, there's a more real reason behind it, which is also, which he kind of explained is that he's getting pressure from his investors. So Black, BlackRock is an asset manager where they manage assets on behalf of other people, like the Japanese pension fund and others. And so he's getting pressure from some of the big pension funds that are giving money to him to say, we need to see that you're doing more about this, otherwise we're going to take our money and give it to someone else. So there is a, there is a sort of financial imperative to all of this, um, which is, you know, is making a difference. I think the big question, A, is can they agree on some sort of standards of disclosure and, and, and ways of de addressing this and sort of benchmarking it in the future? And that was, there's a lot of discussion about that. And then, you know, the second question, I guess, is sort of, does something else come along that, that kind of is a more pressing, more immediate matter? I don't know, you know. A, a, a recession? A recession, a pandemic emerging from China, war in the Middle East. You know, you can think of things that could pop up that would, that would then sort of take everybody's attention away from this this climate change stuff and, and, and have them deal with more immediate issues. Yeah, which actually sort of makes me think a little bit about your conversation, Gina. Um, you had an on-the-record uh, interview with the Secretary of the Treasury, Stephen Mnuchin, um, and he had made a bit of news this week when he basically he sort of, uh, I'm, I'm sure it was, a, it was a not very good glib kind of remark about Greta Thunberg, Swedish um, activist who came to town and, and uh, did her thing. What did, what did Mnuchin actually say? Do you remember? He, he, well, he said that she could comment on all this stuff once she goes to college and gets a degree in economics. So you interviewed uh, Mnuchin. He kind of, he had some, rem he, he clearly made some remarks to you about this designed to kind of deal with some of the blowback. Yeah, had. I mean, he, he clearly was trying to say this thing was overblown, but he was trying to make the point that uh, there's a lot of problems in the world. The environment is definitely one of them. And he was painstakingly trying to make the point that he wasn't discounting it, but that there were a lot of other problems in the world, as you say, this um, health uh, scare now in China and what that could lead to, or a possible war in the Middle East and these tensions with Iran. So that there are a lot of other things going on that could, as he put it, um, impact the next generation, and some could be more immediate than some of the environmental blowback. But I will have to say he is also basically echoing his boss, President Trump, who 
was here um, earlier in the week and also had his own showdown with Greta. Yeah, so what was his showdown with Greta? <laughs> when he came? He's, he's been weirdly obsessed with her, um, has talked about how even before he came to Davos, how he feels like she has anger management problems and various other commentary, uh, even though his wife has this whole uh, anti-bully campaign against children in particular. So you would think uh, maybe he would want to listen to his wife, but clearly not on the, on this point. Um, so he said things already, and then uh, in his speech before uh, the delegates um, he talked about how he didn't say anything about her by name, but uh, you know said that people shouldn't listen to these prophets of doom and you know these sort. That's of... clearly a reference to exactly, Greta. yeah, yeah. What, but what did you think of of his speech that he gave? I know you wrote a you wrote a piece about it. Um, <laughs> yes, we called him the most insufferable person at Davos, which is a hard. Uh, title yeah. <laughs> to obtain here because there's many could compete yeah, on that no, that's, a, that's a pretty high <laughs> bar <laughs> yeah but he uh to his credit he uh managed to beat the competition because he talked about how america is now this i think he used the words roaring geyser of opportunity and yeah, a lot of people <laughs> they were, 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 were spitting that one back throughout the, the week yeah right? exactly a roaring geyser the, they had you know the american economy was performing like like the history had never seen it perform before and just every hyperbole you could think of he also said the Chinese were going to buy $200 billion worth of goods in this new trade deal. He bumped it up to $300 billion because why not? Uh, so he had a, a lot of ways to pat himself on the back. Right. But, but of course, uh, you know, if you look at what we were just talking about in terms of the CEOs and sustainability and whatever, I mean, you'd think maybe Greta's argument has, has, is prevailing. Oh, I think I would say I would say Greta got more name checks in meetings with CEOs and uh, and bankers and financiers than uh, than Trump did, um, and I mean not necessarily in a positive way. I mean, you know, sort of the kind of. And, I'm, I was in that meeting. I think you're referring to, we can, we, who's, which we cannot reveal the uh, the, the person we were with, but there was a sort of you know. There was, I don't know, it's, you know, there's people are like, what is Greta? It's really amazing that she's getting under the skin of these like billionaires and CEOs and stuff. It's extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely sort of there's a kind of, there's sort of men of a certain age kind of find it really difficult to deal with this, uh, uh, with this young girl telling them what to do. But the other thing, which, which people are very reluctant to say publicly, but, but what people will say is that, you know, uh, what she's sort of advocating in terms of just sort of stopping pumping oil, stopping digging coal, stop you know, uh, uh, would have a tremendous impact on um, on economic you know activity. Um, and so, how is that supposed to work? Um, so, so there's a sort of rational discussion to be had about what the future looks like and how you manage this transition. But um, she's absolutely been very successful. In sort of in sort of getting people's attention and, and getting them to really articulate the problem and, and, and think about potential solutions. Yeah, I I, I was talking I was talking to a, a the CEO of a company that um, 
that uh, manufactures things that uh, that are no longer uh, <laughs> viewed as good for the planet, but they're in everything that we do. You know, everything that we have, they're they're in this mic. You know, they're in the and and you know he was having he was saying, look, it's it's pretty hard to be like vocal out there, but but it's it's clear that we don't have a clear plan for dealing with the. It's not just oil and gas. It's chemicals. It's plastics. It coal. I mean, obviously, electricity is the big one, but or I should say, coal and the, the, the coal generating uh, utilities are the big one. But it's um, you know, everyone has a has their own sort of pitch, though. It's it's kind of. But I think I think the other thing that's come up when we're talking about Trump is that the other constant topic of conversation in all these meetings is about who is going to be his opponent in the in the twenty twenty election. Um, and, and sort of what a wide range of potential outcomes in terms of who that might be. Um, and also, compared to that, then also what, what might a, a second Trump uh, term look like as well. Yeah, and there's, I think, a lot of uh, debate about whether a second Trump term would be a good thing or a bad thing for business. Some people feel like his pro-tax cuts, deregulation agenda would just continue, which would be great for them. But there were some concerns among executives about what would an unshackled Trump who doesn't have to worry about winning another election. And who has just beaten impeachment. Exactly. Or maybe have beaten impeachment, and, has another mandate. Yeah, and thinking about his legacy, what does that kind of Trump There's a positive like? side to that. Like, so, so one of the things I think we heard was, well, he's no longer going to be concerned about doing a deal with Russia and, you know, lifting sanctions, doing some sort of thing that gives, okay, makes Crimea officially, well, I mean, we know it's part of Russia at this point, but, you know, it's recognized as such that there's peace in uh, eastern uh, Ukraine and that. Maybe that's not a, that, maybe that's not the, maybe he can't do that now because everyone thinks there's this whole problem with the electorate believing that he might have been too close to the Russians. Um, well, we'll see because part of it is also going to be thinking about his legacy, which basically at this moment means his children. So if he wants to set things up for a president, oh, Don Junior or President Ivanka, and actually Don Junior is more popular with the base than Ivanka is because she's too like. You know, you yeah, can't the base, but she can win the she, which side she's on. She, she that's a kind of interesting. I so should we is this the part where we go to of the podcast where we talk about like what we the ridiculous things we saw in Dublin? Yeah, some of the yeah, that, this might be a good time. So I, I did go to a party, uh, not a party. It was a it was actually a great conversation with um, with uh, the new head of the IMF was part of it. But um, there at the party, you know, Ivanka showed up. And it was just, it, it, the whole place was kind of electric. And, you know, and, and, and everyone, even people who you think might be not so in, into the Trump administration, they were fawning over her. They were, they were you know, on the stage, there was excitement about her. I mean, so, so that was kind of, that was kind of fun. What, what about you, Peter? Did you have any of these sort of weird Davos, I can't believe I'm in a room with these people moments? Um, Few, yeah, I think I think there were, but there were fewer sort of like ridiculous celebrities wandering around. I think than previously, which may, which may explain some of Ivanka's appeal because you know sort of it was kind of a lot of C list. Yeah, the, the bar is quite low. I mean, you know, when you've seen Will I Am for the third year running or whatever in the thirteenth panel of the week. Yeah. 
but you know, and, and, and there is this ridiculous stuff about, you know, uh, one of the big companies got you know, Mark Ronson to DJ at their party, and then I heard today that apparently uh, someone told me that Guns N' Roses played a private concert. Can I, I heard that, but I can't. I can't. I can't confirm it. No, neither can I. Because obviously we weren't cool enough to get invited to the Guns N' Roses uh, concert. But it's you know it's it's that sort of weird sort of Davos bubble where you know these people who they're not really famous or kind of you know like Bono is he you know he kind of he, oh was he there this week I, apparently he was um, well because he has the Rise Fund with TPG and and they did a they did a lunch one day uh, for people and so that that's you know I mean yeah but you're right you've had Matt Damon he's been here generally to, to sort of push his wa- his water related charities um, I think you had. Uh, the lead singer from Coldplay, Chris Martin, Martin here, um, and other folks. But I, yeah, it feels like a little bit this year was was thin on the on the the A list. I mean, I was here the year when Angelina Jolie came, and everybody just went completely nuts. And um, uh, there was nothing really like that this year. I mean, Prince Charles doesn't quite have the same. What sort was of Prince Charles doing here? Um, that's a really good question. I don't know. I think he made a speech, but um, I couldn't tell you what it was. About. <laughs> What about you, Gina? Did you have any? Uh, what were, because this is your first time you've been to this. It uh, is my rodeo. first time. Yeah. So, well, Cheryl Crow was here, singing at the Philip Morris party of all companies, <laughs> with their whole unsmoke it theme. Unsmoke your mind. Yes, is that unsmoke what it is? your mind. Yes. Which is interesting. Didn't she suffer from breast cancer at some point? Yes, she did. So mm. it was. Uh, I, I'm guessing that. Although you did, lot, an so. you did an interview with the, the CEO of Philip Morris. Yeah, no. It's, okay. kind of, it's actually quite an... In, talk about transition. We, we keep talking about energy. and But, I mean, this is a transition from, you know, carbonized tobacco to to smokeless. Yeah, and, and Andre Kalanzopoulos, which I had to practice saying his name a few times, but he uh, was here trying to make a point about uh, sort of the health reasons trying to tell that Davos globalist deletes uh, why his products are actually, you know, can be good for you. They're not at least smoking, relatively good. And they're not vaping. Exactly. They're somewhere in between. Yeah, that was it. That was it. And, and Cheryl could, Crow, can, yeah. you can have fun with her. <laughs> yeah. When, what you, you Among the sort of people you saw speak or who was the sort of highlight, Peter? Uh, I don't know if it was a highlight, but the, uh, uh, the, the sort of a weird moment was the, uh, the British Chancellor of the Exchequer, uh, Sajid Javid, um, who came and, uh, and, and appeared on a few panels and had a few meetings and also appeared at a, a lunch with a load of British business people. Um, even though Boris Johnson, his boss, the Prime Minister, had previously let it be known that none of his ministers would be going to, wasting taxpayers' money by going to Davos. Um, but yet he was still here, so um, uh, so that was a bit strange. But he um, he made a speech where he talked about you know, the new British government's sort of post Brexit plan, um, which was all fairly straightforward. Um, but he actually managed to sort of uh, tout as a uh, an advantage for the UK uh, the fact that it has great political stability, which anybody who has observed British politics for the last <laughs> twelve months. Um, you know, can only view with a with a sort of uh, a bit of wry amusement. And maybe he was talking about the fact that the government now has a majority and they're they're sort of going to be in, in office for four or five years. But um, uh, but it was still quite strange to see a British politician say that with a straight face. Yeah, yeah. It's also quite funny because remember he was on a panel 
with Mnuchin, I believe, and Axel Weber from UBS, at which they kind of went at it over, was it over taxes or what was, and there was a sort of suggestion from somebody that, uh, from the moderator, who said, well, you, you, here you may not be in the job very long. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so, you know, it's, uh, the, the whole thing is, uh, the whole thing's very weird, but yes, but, 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 but actually, I mean, this is the thing, is, is, is that because Trump and Emmanuel Macron, the French president, have sort of seem to have kind of uh, agreed to back down on tariffs and 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 this digital tax. Um, Britain is now in this weird situation where it has its own tech tax, which is going to affect the the the, the, the taxes of, of 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 mainly U.S. tech companies. Um, and so uh, so there was a bit of like sparring between between the British and the Americans um, about well. If you guys are going to tax our uh, our tech companies, maybe we need to put tariffs on you, which is obviously the worst thing that Britain wants, because Britain at the moment needs to, in, in fairly short order, try and do a t- trade deal, yeah. both with the European Union and with the United States. But you asked you asked uh, Mnuchin uh, when you when you did your interview with him today uh, or on Friday, you know, about the, the the tax issue. What was his response? Yeah, I think he was trying to signal, um, even though they did reach a truce, that this was just going to be a long haul. He talked about how complex it was and how, you know, getting all these countries on board and that even when you do reach a consensus among the different countries, it then will have to be implemented and probably have to go to the parliaments or legislatures of all these countries. So, you know, just the U.S. Congress alone, that will be... um, a big fight in and of itself. So he you know, gave a sense that this was going to take a long time. But the red line was going to be if it looked like U.S. companies in particular, the Facebooks, the um, Amazons, Apples of the world were the ones being signaled out that they could look at pulling out again or imposing car tariffs or tariffs on champagne or, or what have you um, as uh, they seem to really like having that in their toolkit. All right. Well, thank you, Gina. Thank you. And thank you, Peter. I think we should thanks, Rob. We should get back to our hell beer. Um, and uh, thank you all for listening. <laughs>